Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House That Hinky Built podcast. As always, I am your host, Jackson Frank, and per usual, I am hosting this on Spotify Green Room. Uh, today, we have, we'll bring in on Ben Pfeiffer to talk about four more prospects as we get closer and closer to the NBA draft, only a couple days away at this point. Uh, and currently, the Sixers still hold the 28th and 50th overall picks. Uh, it seems more than likely, based off reporting from team from people around the team, uh, they will probably move that 28th pick. But in the meantime, we'll continue to break down prospects. Uh, and today we have a pretty fun fun quartet of guys. We're going to talk about Sharif Cooper, Trey Mann, Sam Hauser, and Greg Brown. Uh, Trey Mann and Sharif Cooper might be, uh, I think they're maybe a little bit more lofty uh, guys. The target at 28 most likely will be gone. Um, but it's not for sure. It's, it's really tough to know exactly, but... Um, a couple of you know primary initiators uh, or you know high-end ball handlers, a very good shooter in Sam Hauser, and then a, a freshman who had an up-and-down year at Texas, but is a is an interesting kind of three and three and rim protection guy potentially. So uh, we'll talk about those four. We'll bring on Ben, kind of talk about their fit, how they might work with the Sixers, and uh, get into it. And uh, as always, please, please, please review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you have things that you'd like me to do better, topics like me to cover as we enter the off season. And whatnot, please let me know either on Twitter or find my email in my bio there. Um, really appreciate all the support, and we'll bring Ben on now to talk about some uh, some pretty cool prospects. I'm doing well. How are you today, Ben? Good. I, I just finished up my shift on PD's giant marathon draft stream that after you finish listening listening to this or, you know, if you're listening in the future, would highly recommend going to watch that. I finished my maybe 20-minute spiel on Bones Highland, who we're unfortunately not talking about today, but would be really cool on the Sixers. So happy yeah. to be back. Uh, absolutely recommend everyone checking out PD's stuff. Uh, it's, a bit, it's a really busy time for all these people who are doing a ton of great draft work like Ben and PD. Uh, we did talk about Bones, as you mentioned, I think last Last episode when we had uh, Evan Zoucha on, we talked about Bones, I believe. A very fun prospect for sure, who would fit well in the Sixers. But uh, we got some other fun prospects to talk about today. And let's let's kick it off with Trey Mann, uh, Florida sophomore guard. Was a guy that I think a lot of us were intrigued by as a freshman, really struggled. Um, you know, came back, was was taller and just a much better player. And now he's a legit first-round prospect. So uh, give us give us the rundown on Trey Mann and why you think he, he might fit well in the Sixers there at the end of the first round if he's available. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Trey Mann kind of fell off the map a little bit after his really disappointing freshman season at Florida, where he just full stop didn't really do much. And then, like you said, he came back, he grew, but notably he just got a lot better at pretty much everything. Um, there was always the idea of, of, of upside with Trey because of his uh, string-tight ball handling and pull-up transitions, but... This last season at Florida, uh, that materialized into really efficient scoring um, and just a more complete offensive package. Um, like I said, that, that the ball handling specifically for pull-up creation is Trey Mann's best skill. And it's a really, really useful skill in the modern NBA where pull-up threes are pretty game-breaking. One of the tightest handles I've ever seen. Rarely loses the ball. So great changing directions, setting up screens step-backs, snatch-backs into pull-up jumpers, and has pretty limitless range as well, quick trigger. Um, has improved definitely as a passer, still a ways to go in terms of the complexity of his reads. Um, improved a lot as a finisher, obviously the, 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 the added size really helps, but his craft is pretty strong as well. Um, not super bursty or explosive, and then not a great defender. But the, the general creation upside is, is why I like him for Philly, uh, especially if you're getting him you know, as late as they're picking, I would take Trey Mann in the lottery. Um, I think there are definitely people who also feel that way. But the fact that you're, and he's definitely flawed, but the fact that you're probably going to be able to get him in the 20s and uh, on a Sixers team that just really lacks premier creation, pull up three creation, um, have, adding a guy like Trey Mann just kind of adds a different dimension. Uh, and especially a different dimension to another, you know, guard I, guard prospect I love a lot that they added last year in Tyrese Maxey. Um, <laughs> Definitely a more shot-oriented guy um, than than drive-oriented. But yeah, I mean, I, I just think value-wise it works. Bit-wise, although not perfect, you know, it adds adds just a different a different flavor of creation. So for those reasons, I like Trey a lot for the Sixers in that range. 
Yeah, and just to kind of give some numbers to the shooting you're talking about, uh, per synergy, 90th percentile off the dribble this year on about 107 possessions, or exactly 107. I don't know why I'd estimate 107. Uh, anyhow, 40% from three as well, 16 points a game. Uh, and so, you're, I mean, you're, you're looking at 61st percentile as a catch-and-shoot guy. Uh, on spot-ups, which also kind of, you know, can include attacking closeouts and whatnot, 50th percentile. Um, but really, as you mentioned, you're, you're looking at that that pull-up jumper, um, which, you know, he's, he's really good at kind of creating space with his handle for those shots. Uh, and then the 40% from three. Um, you know, His unassisted be- volume is like the really big thing. Like, you know, I, I, he took 118 threes, like you said, almost 40%, um, almost 70% unassisted, which is kind of unheard of. Like, that's tray level mm-hmm. stuff. Like, n- nobody does that as efficient as, I mean, and by tray, I mean like the NBA tray. <laughs> yeah, not tray with, tray with an A, not tray, tray with an A. Tray with an A, yes. <laughs> tray with a young on the end. Um, um, but but Trey Mann is also like that. Um, I do think there's definitely reason to be a little skeptical of his shooting, and that's why I'm lower on him um, relatively. I I think if I really bought him as like a crazy shooter, like a Bones Highland level shooter, I think he'd be like a top seven eight pick. Just because this is his first season of like this dominant shooting, it, it, like the, the projection always made sense. But I still at this point, land on Trey as more of a very good shooter than a great shooter, which definitely matters um, for, for his role. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really important thing to, to you know, kind of suss out in your projection of a guy. And you mentioned, you know, some you know, limited athletic tools. You meant, and you also talked about kind of the pull-up shooting and whatnot. Is he, is he a guy who is able to, you know, turn the corner on his man and create advantage or draw multiple bodies with his pull-up shooting? Like, is he... Is he more of a, you know, just a guy who's able to hit a bunch of shots, or is he someone who could actually, like, you know, make life easier down the road for Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid? Probably not from year one, of course, but, um, you know, eventually in the next couple of years. Like, how, I guess, how is he an advantage creator? Like, do you understand, am I making sense in terms of yeah. what I'm differentiating? No, yeah, what what do you make of those distinctions there? Yeah, I think the key there is just how he continues to weaponize his gravity um, mm-hmm. in, in relation to his passing. I mean, in, in terms of his screen craft, um, just you know, the way he can toy with with ball screen defenders um, with his handle and his pacing, uh, get into that like seventeen foot range and make and make plays as a passer um, and as a pull up shooter. I definitely think he, in theory, makes life easier for other players just because you have to devote. You know, in a world where where Trey Man is, you know, kind of works out as this really, really high-level pull-up shooter and pull-up shot creator. I think he's probably, like, more of a volume than, like, crazy crazy volume than crazy efficiency pull-up shooter. Mm. Like, I could imagine, like, 36, maybe 37 on, like, really crazy volume rather than, like, 40. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I think Trey definitely can be a guy whose gravity demands resources, and I think he's definitely a good enough passer and will be good enough to exploit that at least basically. I mean, he already is a pretty good passer at this point. Really improved um, hitting passes to the roll, especially. Um, I think he, he hits tighter window passes than he used to, finds tougher passes to cutters. Still, everything is pretty basic for Sreed stuff. Um, he doesn't really go through progressions like Cade or, 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 uh, or another point guard we will talk about shortly. Um, uh. Yes, but I think Trey definitely has... Um, the chops to be someone who really makes life easy for his teammates. Even I think maybe a little bit as an off ball player, but, but more as an off ball with his pull up and screen gravity. And I think that also is important for his development as a passer um, because he's going to get those reps and because he's going to have those passing windows available because of his, his scoring gravity, um, he's going to have more opportunities to, you know, to try different passes and to fail at different passes and to grow as a passer. So, Yes, to answer your question, yes, I do, um, eventually. Yeah, uh, and just for, for anyone to reiterate, the question was like, can he actually create advantage with his pull-up shooting and whatnot? Because uh, I, was, I was a little long-winded in my delivery of it, so I apologize for that. Um, but, yeah, I'm curious about the passing as well. Like, what sort of things is he, like, what sorts of passes is he good at? Because I know our, our friend Spencer Perlman early in the week had a really nice piece over at Sports Info Solutions about being more detailed about passing strengths and parsing that out. So what are the kind of the nuances of man's passing ability? Where is he good? Where does he need to still make strides? And then particularly on the interior, I'm curious about kind of his ability to make reads because 
Um, you know, as, as it currently stands, the Sixers still have Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris, who are three guys who prefer to work in the paint. So if they had a guy like Man, who was, you know, you know, making things happen from the perimeter. Um, I'm curious kind of about his ability to create simple shots around the rim within 10 feet or so. Um, so what, what are kind of the nuances of, of man's passing more or less? Yeah. I, I think the interior passes are, are kind of his strongest point where he really struggles to me are the, the inside out passes okay. and not just because of his inability to generate the, the inside on, on his own, but because I just don't think he sees the complex skips or, you know, the, the, the reads against multiple weak side defenders. But I think in terms of, you know, running a second side pick and roll and threading a tight window pass to the roller or beating a defender using a screen and threading a difficult bounce pass to a cutter. He, he, he was doing that this year at Florida. At Florida. Um, and I think there were some impressive moments, even using some manipulation as well. And because of the handle, I think the live dribble passing graph and functionality is really going to shine. So... And especially as, as, as the space widens um, and he's not playing like next to Scotty Lewis a bunch. Um, love Scotty Lewis, but um, not helping Trey Man a ton in, in that vein. I think he's going to look even better. The, the, the question to me is just how functional is his passing, passing going to be as a driver? Is he going to have the, the gravity towards the rim to really get the most out of his interior passing? I think that point is like kind of moot. Because you can give him a screen and it just works, and you're not—I don't think anyone's asking Trey Man or expecting him to be your like primary primary creator who can do stuff without a screen and, and create offense in a myriad of ways. I think if you give Trey Man a second type pick and roll, um, he can you know manipulate that screen with his handle and his screen setup um, and get to a spot where he can weaponize his passing. So I think the his ball screen trickery. Uh, meshes really well with his passing skill set, which is just the reason. Another reason I like Trey Mann as like a secondary playmaker. I, he, as your like primary uh, decision maker, he's definitely lacking. Like I said, I think the the big macro concern with his passing skills is he just generally doesn't do much beyond his first read. Like you don't see him looking at um, you know really looking at multiple defenders or kind of playing between the the tagger guarding the guarding the low man or, or guarding mm-hmm. the wing you, you just don't see him doing that uh, and that's a trait of high level passers that Trey Manton doesn't exhibit and I'm not really sure he can you know to what extent he can really get to that high level passing but I think it's good enough for the role he projects in so mm-hmm. and that's kind of I think enough to to make him like at least you know neutral to slightly above neutral for his role, given that that's not really his his you know his main strength, but it's but it's an important additive skill onto what he's going to be doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's always you know you can always kind of discern certain reads and learn certain reads based on your screen gravity, but there is sometimes a a salient that you run run into there um, with that sort of stuff. But um, I am curious as well, like what do you make of his ability as an off ball guy, whether it's you know. Catch and shoot threes, you know, attacking closeouts, running DHOs, sometimes with inverted pick and rolls or things like that. Because the fact of the matter is, as long as Joel Embiid's in town, uh, any any kind of perimeter based player is going to have to probably have, you know, most likely to to really maximize their minutes. It's going to have to be a pretty decent pick and or DHO guy, or be able to set some screens to get, you know, Joel deep post touches like they'll do with those flex screens or cross screens, things like that with Seth Curry and Reddick. So, what do you make of his ability to kind of be a complementary guy and? You know, shoot, shoot, catch, catch and shoot threes, things like that. Everything, everything that's kind of required to play off of a you know a really really awesome score like Joel Embiid. I think it's solid. Um, I, I definitely think you're just losing a lot of value with Trey, though. Is is the big issue if you're forcing him uh, pigeonholing him into like a majority off ball role, um, where he's not able to do his best skills. Whereas, mm-hmm. like I, I I think with you know, I'll mention like Bones Highland again. Like even if he's pigeonholed into that role because he's such a special shooter, like he's going to add tons of value. Where Trey. Like I said, I think he's going to be a very good shooter. He'll hit catch and shoots. He, he's going to contribute positively to spacing, but he's not going to be a real, real threat like like Seth, like Seth Curry or like Prime JJ Redick. But I do think an interesting off-ball component um, is his finishing um, because I, I think he's kind of like a less extreme Tyrell Terry in terms of not being able to get to the rim but being pretty good when he gets there. Because mm-hmm. like, like, like Trey is really not bursty. Um, he gets bumped off of his spots really easy when he doesn't have a screen to aid him. But he is a pretty solid finisher. Like, despite not being able to jump, 
Um, he takes contact and is willing to initiate contact surprisingly often. Uh, he extends with his length pretty well. Uh, his balance is really good. So I think there is um, some really interesting finishing chops. It's just like, how does he use it? And I think getting him moving off ball with cuts, um, getting him playing off of you know Joel and B double teams, kick out, attack, and close out. Maybe he's not the best passer on the fly in those situations. Not someone who's going to be able to read those, you know, those closeout situations and you really, really exploit a scrambling defense. But I think the finishing can be useful there and as well as the pull up shooting and intermediate game stuff. So I definitely think he can do it, uh, which is, I guess, the important question you're asking whether or not like that's why you should be drafting him. That's, I think, a different question, but he definitely can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as I keep reiterating on these, these episodes is like, it's the 28th pick. Like nothing's going to be perfect for them. They're not going to find a primary initiator here. They're not going to find like the perfect off-ball complement to Joel Embiid. Like if they can find a rotation player back into the rotation player, they'd be happy with that. Like they, yeah. they got Tyrese Maxey 21st last year, who was looks like a slam dunk, and he was a guy who was kind of on the fringe of the rotation as maybe their fourth or fifth guard, third or fourth guard there. So that's always the, the important caveat and why I mentioned at the top that it seems increasingly likely based off reporting from Tom Moore and Kyle Newbeck that they might trade this pick before Thursday. So. Um, but, but I did, you know, and I, I love the Tyrell Terry comp because the other day I was, maybe a couple weeks ago, I was watching, uh, a G League game and he's playing for the hustle and he made some nice finish. And I will always, always remember you and Max had a conversation on prep to pro last year about kind of his finishing and whatnot. And that always stuck with me whenever I watched Tyrell and his ability to, you know, finish at the rim and not always get there. But, um, yeah, that, you mentioned um, that you know, I assume it was the ignite game that, that ignite yeah. game since hustle was a uh, memorable one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, actually, I, I was just watching some uh, some blue coats uh, Memphis hustle basketball. Uh, no disrespect to uh, everyone, everyone's favorite B ball, Paul, of course. But um, you mentioned kind of the defense. So, what do you make of his defense? Like, what's his optimal role? How could you best maybe mitigate his concerns on that and, and, and kind of, I guess, amplify whatever he does do well defensively? Um, his, his best stuff, I think, is just using his like length and some instincts as an off ball defender. Uh, mucking up passing lanes, uh, zoning on the weak side. The issue is like his instincts just aren't fully there. Um, and he's also very much still growing into his body uh, and learning how to play defense as like a large guard because he just hasn't really ever been that. <laughs> so I think um, just, you know, utilizing that length, the size as like an off guard defender, he's like all right laterally, nothing special. Um, he's going to get abused at the point of attack by strong guys. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be a great defender by any means. But, I mean, he, he's someone you try to hide for sure. I, I don't think he's going to be, like, tray level bad either. Um, just because he has that floor because he is decently large and, and, and long enough. Um, but, I, I mean, I think you, you, know, you, know, you hide him on the worst small. Um, maybe, maybe empower him to, to take risks off the ball. But, again, I mean, you're not drafting Trey Mann to play defense. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. anything he adds on defense is just, like, a plus. Um, because as I, I, I think if you can get him to the point where he's like neutral or just below neutral, that's definitely a win. Yeah, I think you, know, you mentioned kind of the Trey Young. I think it's interesting because Trey is like pretty solid off the ball at this point because he's or not solid, but he's fine. He was a long stretch this year, but on the ball because of his frame, there's a, there's a big inhibitor there. But um, yeah, I think the fit in Philly, you you have some, you have a lot of leeway because again, as currently constructed, they have. Ben Simmons still, um, Matisse Seibel's in the fold. Tyrese Maxey is, you know, was a pretty dang good on-ball defender by the end of his year. Um, you know, yeah, there's still probably have... the personnel to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's never going to be in a. He's never going to be in a lineup where he's like, okay, you, like you have to go and guard the top perimeter creator and anything like that. So that that helps inflate yeah. him. That's that's. I mean, that's as I as I've talked about on different you know at different episodes. There's the downside of where the Sixers drafted 28 is the fact that the talent pool is. It's an the upside is you have more infrastructure to mitigate some of the flaws of these these lesser prospects. So that helps too, especially yeah. defensively. Like there's a lot, lot of stuff the Sixers have to improve offensively, but um, when you've got a team with Matisse Thibel, uh, Ben Simmons, and and Joel Embiid, maybe Danny Green back, maybe George Hill back, uh, you've got a lot of wiggle room defensively there to kind of insulate some guys. But um, what are the, what are the swing skills for you with with Trayman before we shift to another? SEC point guard and kind of continue this conversation. What are the swing skills for you that maybe differentiate between a high-end and a low-end outcome for him? Yeah, I think just for Trey, it's really about how good the shooting is for me. I mean, I, I've said this multiple times, but I think like it's the difference between him being like a very replacement level to out-of-the-league player 
Um, especially like if he's not an on-ball creator, I just don't think the value for like a good, not large, non-defending shooter is really there. Versus if he is like a really great pull-up shooter on volume, then I think because of his other skills, the handle so elite, I think the passing is kind of a swing skill, but just not as important because he's never going to be a primary. Um, then I think that is really going to open up his entire game. So that's the big swing skill for me for Trey. Um, what level of shooter he is? Can he continue his pretty historic uh, his shooting production from this last season? Um, and if he can, then I think there's a really, really good NBA player in there. And if not, I, I think he could definitely be like someone who is on the fringes of NBA rosters. Yeah, I mean, I think if you just looked at Trey Manley, I mean, you know, again, it's called, what part of what makes the scouting so tough is such small samples. Like, I mean, but I mean, if if Trey was a freshman, like, I think you'd feel a little more, like. 40% from three, 90% off the dribble. Oh, for sure, uh, yeah. But obviously, yeah, there's, there's kind of the Just fact that he assimilated. Last assimilated. year was rough, and then yeah. going uh, back to, like, even his high school numbers, <laughs> he was never really a spectacular shooter. So Yeah, he was, I think, if I recall, because I, I watched a little bit of him in, in Florida, if I recall, he was a little more like, this dude's really good at creating space. The jumper doesn't always fall, but um, if you can get the jumper to kind of, you can refine yeah, the jumper. Yeah, it was mostly theoretical at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's shift gears to another really, really fun SEC point guard in oh, yeah. Sharif Cooper. Um, another guy who I think has a fairly wide range of outcomes um, in terms of where he'll go. I saw Sam Bassini had a mock draft, I think, last week that had him 29th um, to the Suns, which would be, I mean, the Sixers, if the Sixers keep that pick, they would be wild, I think, to, to, to pass on Sharif there. Um, but I've seen him sometimes as high as, like, the late lottery um, you know, it's so tough to know what exactly is true, what exactly is smokescreen. But um, point being, I think there's a ch- there's a chance that Sharif is available to Sixers. So um, let's g- give us your rundown of his game and why you know why you think he fits so well uh, in Philadelphia if he's available. Yeah, um, I may get in trouble if I say just <laughs> how high I would take Sharif. Um, I have kind of done the the 180 on Sharif. Where I began as a skeptic. Um, especially going back to his last high school season and have pretty fully swapped around to being an optimist. Um, I just, I have too much FOMO with Sharif because like this special is so, so special. Like as our, our, our pal PD loves to say, especially for guards, like in his heuristics, like show me the special and Sharif is, you know, maybe more than anybody in this class um, outside like the top one or two. Really, really exemplifies that. Um, to me, is the best passer in this class in terms of his manipulation and court mapping and space awareness. Um, his his craft um, is so so special as a slasher. I think his burst like can get a little overrated. Like he's not crazy bursty. He's not crazy fast. But like the intersection, like like his handle, I don't think is Trey Man level good. But the intersection of those two things with his elite craft and positional strength. Um, just makes him a really, really devastating advantage creator. And that's really the key word is that advantage creation, um, which, again, he, he, he adds a perimeter creator that the Sixers just do not have even close. Like, he's a completely different level of creator than Trey Mann. Um, his ability to generate paint touches and carve out easy passes and just generate good offense basically every time he touches the ball, whether that's a rim attempt or a kick out three or a lob or free throws. It, it's really, really rare. And yes, like the drawbacks for Sharif are, are very significant, but it, it's less about the shooting. Like, yes, the shot is a concern, but like his touch indicators are great. I don't think the jumper is broken. Um, he'll be fine enough as a shooter. Um, just how good does the scoring in terms of at the rim in the intermediate have to be for him to really work as such a small on ball player. Um, and then the defense, like, can it be just um, just normal bad rather than, like, worse than the league bad, which matters. And I think it can based on what he showed this year. But, yeah, it's just like the the advantage creation, which is arguably the most important thing in basketball uh, for both of your team, is so, so key. And, you know, it's such a need for the Sixers. And I think their infrastructure also kind of exists in a way that they can – um, that they can afford to to deal with some of his issues. So, yeah, I mean, Sharif going in the late 20s is, like, a hilarious deal. So even if, like, he didn't fit the Sixers at all in a world, I'd be clamoring for the take-in just because, like, it's hard to get a guy that good that late. Yeah, I think it's it's funny. Like, I mean, just mentioned two feet in the paint, advantage creation. Like, 
I mean, they haven't. I mean, during the Joel Embiid era, the guys that have been able to do that from the perimeter are basically uh, like Jimmy Butler and Tyrese Maxey. Obviously, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler, and Tyrese Maxey was a was a twenty year old rookie. Uh, and so, just having someone to consistently do that again, like you, it, it would be it would be tough to rely on two 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 guys like that. But uh, I just think a guy like Sharif, who you know, not only is the, you know not only is the, the advantage creation, it's the fact that he can you can capitalize on that, right? Like it's one thing to be able to like get downhill and make things happen or get downhill and force rotations. It's another thing to get downhill and have the wide array of passing live drill passing that, that Sharif does. Um, and that's just something that, you know, Maxie didn't have. And that's not to say that Maxie doesn't value the downhill scorer uh, or downhill player, but um, just isn't the same level of passer there. Um, no, not the and, same planet. Yeah. And obviously, I, and I know you were a huge fan of Maxie's. So that's not even to disparage him. And obviously he had, he had a tr- tremendous first year. Um, but what I'm curious, like with, with Sharif, cause he's a guy I like, I don't think I've really watched much of. I know, I know I like, I've read about him. I've seen some stuff, but my most intricate watching is probably back when I was scouting Isaac Coro at McCurchin, uh, and watching his teammate who could make ridiculous passes from like the baseline of the opposite wing for threes, um, and whatnot. But is, is there any like outcome where he's a very useful player that doesn't, have him as a primary like like what's what's the outcome there because i do think at least from a sixer perspective like he's gonna be kind of far down the pecking order because i mean one he's just not gonna be better than joel and beat from one from the outset as a, as a kind of a advantage creator or just offensive hub so is there any sort of outcome for him where he's a secondary player or what's or is i hate to use boom or bust but like what what is kind of the spectrum there for sharif yeah i mean that's kind of the issue right is um, if he doesn't kind of work in all of these ways, he probably doesn't. I do think there's a, a universe where he becomes like a pretty good shooter just because of the ridiculous touch indicators. Um, and then he can work off ball as like a secondary pick and roll guy. Like the advantage creation is always going to add value no matter what. And I think, you know, I, I've talked about this a lot that like these really high ceiling guys just have higher floors than they get credit for. Like I do think Sharif is kind of an exception to that rule because of like the really damning lows. But even if like, you know he doesn't hit a high outcome where he's great enough as a scorer um, to enable himself on the ball, I do think if he can just get you know good enough to as a shooter where he can command gravity. I mean, he was like he had basically no shooting gravity in the SEC, and he was getting paint touches whenever he wanted. So like he doesn't need that much shooting, which is why I'm optimistic. Like even if he can just get a little bit, then I think that's enough to have value in an off-ball role, secondary pick-and-rolls, um, you know, working into the paint, creating great shots for his teammates, drawing fouls, because, I mean, those things for Sharif are constant, and we know, like, he is going to create advantages, he is going to draw fouls, he is going to, to generate great shots, um, and those are all valuable no matter what else he brings. So I don't really see a world, you know, I, I'm if he's like a total non-scorer, which I guess is possible, where he adds no valuable and is totally useless, as that, or he's just like the worst defender ever, which, like, I don't think is going to happen because he's just too strong. Like, he's not like like Trey um, will just get abused by basically anybody with a pulse on the ball. Where like Sharif can hold dudes, like he can hold bigger guys. So I do think there's use for Sharif just as like an off-ball advantage creator, kind of like a small connector um, in his shooting, which obviously isn't ideal. Um, because of the size and the defense, but I think it can work, and because of how special Sharif's you know potential connector skills can be, it's going to be something worth implementing and worth trying for. So, I, I yeah, I do definitely think there is a way to utilize him if he's not really a, a heavy on ball guy. But obviously, like that's what you're banking on if you're if you're investing in him. So, yeah, uh, also the, 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 all the Hawks, all the Hawks fans listening are going to cite the uh, the Giannis clip when Trey gave Giannis fist in that one, the one post up in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, but uh, in terms of kind of getting getting punished on the ball, anyhow, I, I digress with my joke there. Um, with with Sharif, I'm curious, like, how how do you think he like? Do you think he could work in tandem at all with Joel, or would it be one of those things where you have a guy like Joel who you know? consistently draws double teams in the in the paint and whatnot because he's he's you know the best post scorer in the NBA and a really good mid-range shooter at this point. Um, and then Sharif is constantly breaking down defenses with his his burst ability to get paint touches with live rule function, functional passing. Um, 
like, is there anything, or would it be kind of a, not your turn, my turn, because I feel like that can be like not a great phrase. Um, but like, do you think there's anything they could do in tandem to really work together? Um, you know, or would it, again, would it be just kind of the fact that you have two massive advantage creators, um, that maybe by year two or three, I guess Joel, you know, Joel will be 28, 29, kind of right in the middle of this prime. Um, like, do you, like, does that make sense? Like, do you think they work in tandem? Yeah. Like what's, what's the kind of the viability of kind of just some chemistry or synergy between them? Yeah, I mean, I, I really think it's just about, like, the sheer, like, magnitude of the gravity that those two on the same floor would create. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, they they work masterfully together in pick and rolls. Because, um, like, Sharif can kind of do whatever he wants, and, like, having a play finisher, like, as amazing as Embiid would be great. I mean, it's obviously reductive to reduce, you know, Joel Embiid to a play finisher. But in a case where... You know, maybe he he is gassed, or uh, a defense is really loading up on his advantage creation. Like Sharif can be a guy who says, "Okay, just go get easy dunks. Like I'll get you easy dunks. I will get you free throws, um, and you'll score twenty points on twenty points that way." And 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 like that matters um, in games where it's not working because that just kind of happens. Um, even for players as great as Embiid, there are moments where it just doesn't work as well as it normally can. So I think just having an advantage creator like Sharif gives Embiid more options to generate efficient offense, to give himself back momentum, um, just to, you know, be more effective on the floor uh, without the ball. Because, again, like, even if he's not drawing doubles in the post, like, have Embiid, like, sit in the dunker spot, and Sharif will find him on a lob or a finish (laughs) or an open layup, or he will draw a foul. Um, Like, there are just so many ways that Sharif makes Joel's life easier and while Joel certainly doesn't need someone to make his life easier to thrive, like we've seen that his whole career, um, that he can do it no matter how great the difficulty curve, um, it certainly doesn't hurt. And I just think like the efficient offense, assuming like Sharif even hits like a reasonable high outcome, like that, that offense would just be hilarious. Like even like obviously, you like to surround them with spacing uh, as, as much as you can. Like I, I, like I said, I don't think like Sharif is going to be a non-shooter assuming he hits that outcome. But again, it, it's never like a crazy strength of his. But just just two guys with like that kind of gravity and in different ways as well. I think it's just going to be a nightmare for defenses to deal with. Like, oh man, you're you're getting all these Sixers fans. Yeah, this is fun to think about. And, like, uh, yeah, like, and then when he goes 16th or 17th or whatever, they're, they're all going to be devastated that he only made it halfway down the. The board, but I do, but I do think I want to touch on some of the points you made there. One, like, like, yeah, I think Joel obviously can still be an MVP caliber player despite not having great perimeter creation. But you saw in that Hawks series, like he was overextended, like he just he didn't have it sometimes in the fourth quarter of those those series. And that was part of. The, I mean, he, by no means is he the, the reason the offense, you know, fell apart down the second half of that series. But it, but his inability to be the same player at times was, was contributed to that. And so, um, and even though Joel's like not a great pick and roll player, it's never been his strength as a role man. I think the fact that he became such a great mid-range shooter this year, like having someone like Sharif that you can run a pick and roll. Joel does this thing where he kind of saunters to the free throw line. Sharif gets downhill, draws two, and then throws a little whip back pass. And either Joel has an open mid-range jumper or the defense closes out. He shot fakes and he's going to line for two shots. Um, stuff like that it would help him too. So like, even though Joel's not great as a role man, has some issues with kind of his vertical explosion in terms of being like some lob threat or some dunker. Um, there's still a lot of ways it would help. Just like having someone else who you know commands multiple bodies and then can also make the pass to back to Joel, who's you know top five or six scorer in the NBA. Um, that teams would have to rush back to him would help a ton. So um, there's just a lot to like. And anyway, again, I feel like whenever whenever people listen to this and the six perspective, they'll be super hyped. And so hopefully for their sake, we don't the, the nobody, nobody lets you down, but. <laughs> Um, but I do want to preface that it does seem maybe unlikely, but not implausible that he, that he lands at 28. But yeah, um, I just like, I, like he's just too good. Like even if like he just doesn't work, um, at some point like the draft is an upside game, and mm-hmm. you're just not going to find guys with the ceiling of Sharif Cooper. Like why? Like just like I I I see no reason to take like Deuce McBride or like Jared Butler, who are both like fantastic players. I think would fit really well with the Sixers. Um, both have a lot of great strengths, but like when you have someone with like legitimate star upside, like Truth Cooper does to me, um, and that's just the philosophy I, I entail. Basically, like no matter like your timeline, I mean, I, obviously there are exceptions to the rule, um, and there, there always are. But with, with someone like Sharif, he's just too special to pass on, even if he doesn't work. Like I would rather swing and miss on Sharif 
then, you know, like, go for someone safer and have Sharif be a star. Yeah, there's kind of, a, there's like an inflection point there, right, where you get to a point in which the, the the talent level of maybe the prospect you think fits better just isn't approximating what you could get out of a guy like Sharif. Yeah. Um, but I do want to briefly touch on the defense before we shift to a very different type of player. Um, but like <laughs> Probably like what, as, as different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, yeah, completely polar opposites here. Uh, it's Sam Hauser for anyone, we won't, we won't, uh, we won't be uh, shy on it. But anyhow, yeah. uh, the defense, you know, mentioned a little bit some of the strength that could allow mm-hmm. him to not be uh, you know, bottom tier defender in the NBA. What are his, what are his strength? I mean, yeah, lack of, for lack of a, a better, for lack of a way to avoid the pun, what are his, <laughs> yeah. what are his high yeah. points defensively and, and kind of how can he avoid, what's the way to deploy him so he isn't, you know, some glaring negative who is always ranking at the bottom and, yeah. and, and we're just, is clearly one of the, the league's worst defenders. Yeah. His defense really surprised me this year. Um, in that I expected it to be just abjectly terrible because that's kind of how it was in high school and UIPL and he was going to the SEC and there was no way it was going to be anything but horrible. But that, but that wasn't the case. Um, he really tried. Like, he fought through screens. He moved to the point of attack. He made plays off the ball. I really think, like, he can be a decently effective guard defender on the ball. Because, like I said, he is so strong, has that lateral movement enough, can really bump guys, even bigger guys, and push them off their spots. So, and, like, yes, like, size is king in the modern NBA. so many big creators. But, like, teams play small guards. Like, Teams are always going to play small guards, and you're always going to need to like defend players, um, defend teams that play small guards. And like any guy that's like six six two, six three, and shorter, and not just like one of the best dudes in the league at that height, like Curry or, or Lillard or whatever. Like I think you can throw Sharif on at his peak, assuming he improves in technique and engagement, and he doesn't get totally eviscerated, which is which is which is really important because like you can't do that with Trey Young. I think the thing is, is like his off-ball defense because the size is always going to be an issue. Like there, there are moments where like Sharif will like be in the right position to make a contest, and then he just like gets gets flattened because he's tiny, and that's always a problem. And I think that's the bigger issue than him getting hunted, like mm. in the playoffs. It's like teams will just like throw cutters at him, um, or just like force him into positions where he has to tag and throw the lob anyway, no matter what he chooses. Um, because there's just nothing he can do about it. Um, and that's the big issue with Sharif to me. Um, that's just like, he's going to get abused as an off-ball defender. Um, I, I, there are spots where he works, maybe in passing lanes, um, closeouts, chasing off screens, like, kinda. But again, like, it's going to be real problematic. But again, it's just like, how much offensive value does he add? How much defensive value does he subtract? And is that, like, consequential? So... Yeah, I will say I think we're I I, I do so I'll make clear I think I think Trey Trey has like improved a good bit defensively so he's not like a bottom bottom rung anymore just for an, I I think early on he was that way but I think I'm talking last, more about like rookie Trey okay okay I just want to differentiate I don't want to I don't want to undersell yeah. the strides he's made and I think it's interesting the way you compare him like I think Trey's best strength defensively is is with some of that off ball stuff with the instincts yeah. and he's he's physical and he's quick. But on it's the ball he's because like he's taller and longer than Sharif too. So. Yeah, yeah. But on the ball, yeah, he's just he's just more slender, and so he gets he can get beat up a lot there. But um, I think we you know we've kind of touched on swing skills a lot. I think it's just going to come down to like can like you can just correct me if I'm wrong. But it's just going to come down to like is he good enough to be the primary right? And, and and also does that you know does he get the advantage creation? Can he score enough to really yeah. be the primary? Because the passing is probably going to be there, right? Like specific skills and more like yeah. does the thing work? What, what, yeah. Like does like does Sharif work at the NBA mm-hmm. level? Because there's like he's like like there's there's no alt there's no big alterations to his game aside from like efficiency and volume upticks. Like th- there's not going to be any big metamorphosis. I don't think with what he does. Um, it's just like does what he do does does what he does like does mm-hmm. the things that he does, do does it work? Does it work? <laughs> yes. Does it, does it translate? Like, and that's like, that's tough to yes. know. Does it translate? Does it work? <laughs> Is it going to be effective? Um, and I think that's just kind of a wait and see thing. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I do. I do want to just two stats that I want to I think are good kind of signifiers of his advantage creation. He had a fifty-six percent free throw rate this year, yeah, and a forty-nine percent rim frequency hilarious. in the half court. Six-one um, guard, mind you, who uh, didn't get to play. He, all he played was basically high conference basketball. He didn't get any any games again. You know, any of those buy games you get in the, in the non-conference things like that. So, um, pretty ridiculous numbers, and then. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna not gonna cite raw assist numbers because I don't like those. Um, but um, you can just go watch some Sharif highlights, and you'll get a great idea of his passing 
Um, by no means yeah. is it picking, you're not cherry picking anything. If you just find a highlight tip of him on YouTube there. Um, but anything you want to add about Shriek before we shift gears to maybe yeah. his polar opposite in this class? He has, Sam Hauser? Um, he, uh, he's got yeah. like, to, to me easily, like the most fun, the best highlight tape in this draft. Um, if you were only evaluating based on that information, you should probably have him like top two. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean like, again, don't, don't want to get caught up in assists and assist turnovers as, you know, I think this draft more than any we've we, we've seen that's dangerous um, with, with with prospects like Cade. But like, I think the the only other guy with like um, a fifty assist and like his usage is I think like John Morant. Um, mm-hmm. So like he's in special company in terms of advantage creation and and, and passing creation. So yeah, I mean we could talk forever on Sharif. Like he's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah, we, we absolutely could. Uh, and it's funny that, you know, John and Sharif are very different pastors, I think, and how they make that done. But again, yes, yeah. we could do an entire hour long podcast about Sharif and how he'd fit on the Sixers yeah. and a bunch of other different teams with more printer creation. Very different uh, in terms of micro skills and, you know, how they apply their skills, but broadly a lot of similarities in terms of impact. Yeah, absolutely. But let's shift gears to Sam Hauser. Again, a completely <laughs> different prospect, a, yeah. a high level shooter, an upperclassman, um, and whatnot. But give us, give us the rundown of his game. Uh, he's a six eight six nine kind of big man wing from from Virginia. Uh, why would you think he fits well in the Sixers, and, and kind of what what makes him a, a worthwhile prospect in this class? Yeah. We'll try to keep this a little less long winded than Sharif, but <laughs> just like truly like a case for the best shooter in this class. I don't think it's him, but like if you argue that it was, I'd be fine with that. Like, it, it, like most people will like understand how ridiculous like Desmond Bain's four year shooting splits were. Just go look at Sam Hauser. <laughs> like, it's a different level of wild. Um, he just is, and like, despite being like four inches taller than Desmond Bain, he is a wacky shooter. So much volume, versatility, uh, comfortable pull-up shooter, sprinting off of movement, catching shoots, obviously. Um, just a really, really high-end shooter. Like, he could legit beat Duncan Robinson. Like, he is that good of a shooter. Um, also a very good passer as well can actually hit some, like, pretty difficult skip passes, uh, laydowns, really great extra passer, quick processing. Um, and then defensively, like, yes, his foot speed is limited. Uh, his change of direction is not good. He's not vertical. But he, he's large and smart, so there's a floor there. Um, I mean, like, yes, there are macro issues with Hauser. Um, he's old. I think he's 23 at this point. Um, he's not very athletic. He's going to struggle as an interior scorer. But especially considering, like, he's getting mocked outside of, like, the top 60, um, which is kind of insane given his, like, meaningful high-end outcomes. Like, mm-hmm. if you can get him at 50, like, that is a hilarious steal. So I think, like, that is a huge value, especially considering, like, I think he's better, like, like a better gamble than, like, Duarte and, and his teammate Trey Murphy uh, in terms of, like, all the other shooting wings in this class, I don't think he's better than Kispert, um, as you will know. Um, but, like, he's such an awesome value play in this draft, um, where there are, like, a lot of really good tall spacers, um, but I, I don't think Hauser is, like, is significantly worse, or even, like, worse at all than a lot of these other dudes. It's certainly very close, but the fact that you can get him 20, 30 spots later is is huge. Yeah, this, this this appears to be the the year of the the old elite shooters with with Kispert, uh, Duarte, and Hauser, all twenty two or older. Um, yep. And Duarte, who just turned twenty four, who is a very good shooter, regardless, but uh, it's quite old for for a prospect. But um, yeah, I, I'm curious, like like so, you know, I just want to also give some numbers again to these things. Um, you know, just this is this is only one year of Hauser's synergy page, and honestly, it might be, I would imagine, it's probably roughly the lower end of it. But this past year. 89th percentile on spot ups, 81, 81st percentile on off screens. Um, you know, was you know took 70 percent of his shots uh, as jumpers, 80 percent catch and shoot, 92nd percentile uh, jumpers off the dribble. I'd imagine most of those jumpers, kind of the sidestep pump fake sort of stuff in terms of how you translate to the NBA. Yeah. Um, but Mostly then yeah, like sideways than forwards momentum. Yeah, and just to, to give some more, like 44 percent from three across four years at high major every year. First three years at Marquette, one year at Virginia, 88 percent from the line. 48% from the field, 54% from two. Um, just, I mean, anywhere you look at Sam Hauser, you're, I mean, you're looking at a 6'9", you know, unreal shooter. Um, just want to give some numbers to back up the kind of the, the intangibles you mentioned there. Not the intangibles, but, yeah, the kind of the descriptive part of it. Give some, give some quantitative data Really to ridiculous. It. Just, um, 
but yeah, I'm curious. Every box of ticks. Yeah, and so what can he do? Like when one run off the line, or you know, kind of pushed off the line? Does he have? Does he have a good sidestep? Can he make the extra pass? Like what can he do to retain value? If te- like if if teams eventually realize, okay, this dude's not the most mobile or spry, even though he's six nine. Like let's just let's just sprint at him. Like what can he do to combat that and still provide? you know, value for for possession or an offense. Yeah, I think that's why I'm really excited about Hauser is he's a lot more than a shooter. Like, you've, you and, and I both, mostly you, have harped on this, like, for months about Kispert. Um, you know, what do they do when get run off the line? That's, like, my big issue with Trey Murphy, um, his teammate. Well I, well, I think Sam, first of all, has a really, really polished intermediate game. Uh, mid-range pull-ups, kind of step-backs, post-fadeaways. Um, can really abuse smaller defenders with his size and high release. And then, like I said, I, I really think there's, you know, he, he has the ability to hit a basic skip pass or make a quick extra pass after attacking the closeout and just finding a, you know, a one more to the corner. So I really do think that there's utility there. Like, he's too good of a pull-up shooter and, like, a touch guy to be like, okay, we're just going to take away the, 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 the pass and make you drive. Like, he, he will just pull up over you. So that's not going to work. Um, obviously, like, you can't make him pass because he can do that. Like, he's far from a black hole. He's a really strong decision maker uh, when he's forced off the ball, I think, at least. So, I mean, yeah, he's got a lot of utility, even if he's never going to be someone who can really get to the rim and finish. Like, he's big, and he's got great touch, so he's going to have, like, at least a little bit of success at the rim when he gets there. But, like, you're not asking him to do that. That's just not his role. And Mm -hmm. what level of finisher he gets to, to me, doesn't really matter. It's not a salient point, so... Yeah, I mean, he really works well. Like, he's is like a consummate off-ball wing. Like, he is going to be a monster, would be a monster in, like, DHOs with Joel Embiid because of the gravity he could command. I mean, it's like, like, he could really do, like, the stuff that J.J. Redick did uh, with Embiid. Like, except he's five inches, five, six inches taller. Um, like, so, which obviously adds, like, a significant other dimension while also being, like, a good enough passer. Uh, a good enough dribbler, like again, n- not someone who creates advantages with his handle per se, but I don't think his handle like r- really hinders him from getting to the spots that he wants to get to. Mm-hmm. Is he is he is he mobile and, and fluid enough? Because one of the things that made JJ Redick so good for so many years is me is just an incredible off ball dino who never like. But like, is he is he at least good enough to you know? Cause I, I don't because I think you know there's. I think again. I've only seen a bit of Hauser, but I, I would be skeptical to say he can do kind of the same stuff as Reddick. Maybe some, maybe some translation there. But um, part of what made Reddick is just such a snappy and quick guy getting getting space and whatnot. But um, is Hauser at least mobile enough for his size to create separation from you know similar size or like sized defenders and whatnot? Yeah, and I think that's where you're trading size for movement skills. Mm-hmm. Um, where obviously he's not going to be able to like snake around screens and free himself. Let, like a wide receiver, like a juking dudes out, like JJ Reddick does. Um, but I think if you give him a screen or two, um, he has uh, like enough movement skill to get just to crease the separation because he's going to be so unbothered by contests. I think. Um, well, yeah, just just being six foot six 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 eight six nine means he doesn't need that that excess of separation that someone like JJ Reddick does. He doesn't need to be able to contort his body as intensely as someone like J.J. Redick. Though I think he can do that um, in some ways, but like obviously not like J.J. or Duncan Robinson even. But the fact that he's just so incredibly large and that good of a shooter means that just simply I think the separation required to generate those good looks is a lot less than someone like J.J. Redick. So I guess it was a little disingenuous to, to compare those two. Like extremely different ways that they get into those shots and create their advantages and make their offense work. But I think similar principles can definitely apply there. So. Yeah, but when I do think maybe some of the, the, the similarities, like you, you mentioned that he's he's fairly good at, you know, leveraging his gravity in terms of making some simple passing reads and multiple guys run at him. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Because that's something that Reddick yeah, was very good in his two yes, years. Yes, absolutely. With, with the Sixers. And that's something that uh, Hauser already does, like at Virginia, mm-hmm. um, because he has such intense shooting gravity. Like he has like the Steph, like the Steph Curry effect. Where he will come off of a pin down and both defenders will go to him and leave like a wide open dunk for the screener, like that is something that happens with decent regularity at Virginia, um, and obviously that's not going to be the same in the league. But I do think if he actually has a role and you know isn't phased out for other reasons, which he certainly could, like he's not a top you know twenty pick for a reason, um, mm-hmm. then I think he could certainly function in that way. 
Yeah, and I, I, you mentioned kind of where he's where he slotted out. A couple of things. Um, one, I do want to apologize. I don't know what I was looking at, but um, Sam Mazzini has Sharif going 20th to the Hawks in his latest mock. I don't know what I must – I don't want to get that incorrect. But anyhow, he also does not have Sam Hauser drafted, which is not an indictment on Mazzini, which is probably just related to how he – what he's getting intel from. So that, that speaks to kind of what Ben was getting, that he might not be a top 60 pick, and he is, he is a 6'9", elite off-ball shooter who understands how to leverage that into just impactful offense. So, I don't um, want to sound like, like Hauser. You know, we're, we're, we're being positive to Hauser, but, but it, like, it's relative to his value. Like, there are reasons he's not. Like, like I said, like a lottery pick with this shooting. Like, you don't want to draft like an, an athletic 23-year-old that high in almost every case. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's not something I'm advocating for. But, like, this is not a player you should be able to get undrafted. Not in any universe. Like, he's mm-hmm. someone who, like, uh, like, I'm surprised hasn't gained more traction just because of how much the league values shooting and how much the league seems to value wings. Like, I'm, I would be pretty surprised if he didn't get drafted in, like, the late second or mid-second. Like, yeah, I mean, really especially expected. guys who are six nine. I mean, they should just just the based on the way you've described him, the kind of stuff I've seen and, and read beforehand. I mean, he is a guy that should absolutely get drafted. Just you know, those, those sorts of archetypes are really useful even if they're in a bench role. Um, shooting yeah, with size, you're only and, getting a rookie contract of value out of him. Like that's yeah. still a useful player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but let I, I I do I do want you to maybe touch a little bit on maybe some of the drawbacks, and then also we can close with. These swing skills here, and then we'll get to our final guy, who uh, is again. This is another very different type of player, but uh, maybe some of the drawbacks about why you could maybe foresee teams being lower on him, and then uh, the swing skills that could determine you know his high end versus low end. Yeah, the age is an important point. I mean, he is like five, four years older than like a lot of the guys who are similarly talented to him, going a lot higher. Understandably, um, age is extremely important in terms of the draft, in terms of projecting upside, in terms of future contracts. Um, so I, th- I like, like, I think it's just risky to take guys that old high in almost, in almost every instance, as, as we've learned, always exceptions to that rule, but it's just generally not a great idea. And then, like I said, like the athletic tools, especially for defense, I think, or even if he's a guy who like, you can't like, he's not totally awful. Cause like I said, he is six foot eight, six foot nine. He's a smart team defender, makes sound rotations. Like he's not going to be a rim protector because he can't be vertical with his contests. Really struggles when you force him to change directions. Um, not someone who can really defend down at all. Pretty strictly like a three and a half to four defender to me. Like you throw him on your your opposing team's worst wing forward and you pray. That's kind of how you're going to get away with him. How's our defense? Um, and then offensively, like. If, you know, I think I could definitely imagine universes where, like, teams are kind of force him into, like, a really one-dimensional role because, you know, you put someone with, with size and strength and athleticism on him at the wing, and he's kind of unable to create any separation by himself. I mean, but even then, like, he can just stand in the corner and shoot, like, sprint off of pin downs and shoot. So, like, there's always going to be that value, which, again, is, like, why, like, why he's so useful. It's like, there's never going to be a scenario where you cannot use Hauser at all. Mm. But there are definitely, like, a lot of imaginable scenarios, especially against good teams, especially in the playoffs that are loaded with, with, with better defenders and better athletes and stronger and taller people, um, where they can really limit Hauser's effectiveness to, like, a, you know, seventh, eighth man who just comes in as a spark off the bench. So, I mean, like, it, like, like you said, these are all the reasons that, you know, I do, you know, I would definitely consider Hauser in the late first for, you know, a team that's really well built. Um, like I think the Sixers, like if that was Hauser's range, um, would be a good spot for him because, you know, he just adds that spacing uh, and just another, you know, valuable element. I, I don't think it will be wise to take Hauser in the first for any team just because like you can get him later. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I think like he always is going to be valuable even if you take him away. Like I just think his floor is, is quite high. Um, and just for a guy that late, you know, like a guy going that late, you don't often see that because of the shot. Um, obviously, could totally phase out of the league just because of a lack of opportunity, or the the athletic tools really are underwhelming to the point where he can't exist on an NBA floor, especially defensively. But I think overall, like Hauser is so like so good at such important skills that it's just probably going to work. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I, I think I would agree with you. And I've only seen a little bit of him. Um, I think, you know, obviously, Gonzaga played Virginia in the year. I watched that. Um, unfortunately, Hauser was overshadowed. I think that was Kisper's best game of, the career, of his career, or at least the season. Nine three. Eight, yeah, eight or nine threes is just ridiculous stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Just as as an as a Gonzaga alum, it was quite an enjoyable game to watch. This is a basketball game; it was fun as well. Oh. But um, let's. But if you have anything else, I think you kind of. I think you summarized kind of the good and bad of Hauser there in that last little portion. If you have anything to add, the floor is yours. But let's shift to Greg Brown. Otherwise, um, a very different prospect than anyone we've. Like probably anyone I've touched on in this in this kind of this tw- now twenty prospect series heading into the draft um, rundown of his game and then maybe why you think he might be a worthwhile guy for the Sixers to you know take it take it fifty or so. Um, so just give us the rundown of Greg Brown, who is a former teammate of Kate Cunningham on the Texas Titans AAU squad. Yes, uh, that Texas Titans team was wild and fun because Greg Brown is a hyper vertical athlete. Um, just a ridiculous like mover in straight lines, leaper in space, even in tight spaces. Um, at like six foot eight, six foot nine, there are a few guys who do it like him. And I think like beyond that, he's he's become one of like the more intriguing prospects in this class, given his value. Um, like because of his shooting volume, especially like he took ten threes a game, uh, ten threes per hundred, excuse me, which is which was really unexpected for him, given what he did at Texas Titans and you know what we expected of him. I think mm-hmm. I, I think there was a point early in the season. I'm pretty sure you were even on on preps of pro when we talked yeah. about when he was taking about 15 threes per hundred possessions, um, which is hilarious. Like that's more than Bones Highland. <laughs> um, so I think like there is an interesting player in there with someone who's that toolsy athletically has that level, of, you know, because of that lob threat and cutting and catch and shoot potential um, and rim protection. Someone I think worth taking a flyer on late in the draft. Um, which seems to be where he's projected and why I brought him up. Uh, definitely has, has real weaknesses. Feel for the game, uh, very behind in terms of picking the spots. He can very much be a black hole. I don't think he's as terrible a passer as his point two assist to turnover ratio would suggest. Yeah, but, it's not not great. Yeah, but definitely has has his black hole moments, especially when he's on the ball. But I think the real thing with Greg Brown and something that um, you know our good friend Polar Fall has pointed out. Uh, the legend Ross Homan uh, talked about m- many ages ago is like Greg Brown's medicals are concerning because his knee, like his legs are different lengths. Um, I can never remember which one is longer, but you can, you can see it when you like, like when you're aware of this and you watch him move, it's, it's evident like mm-hmm. so something off in his movement. There's uh, an imbalance clearly clear yeah. bo- on both sides of the ball for him. He's very unstable. Like so often when he makes certain like more complex dribble dribble moves that require flexibility or takes a jumper off balance or jumps through a block, like it just looks like he's going to collapse. Um, and I, you know, like, like p- people people much smarter than me, um, like like Polar, like Ross, um, like like PD in terms of biomechanics, um, have expressed like you know I think rightful concern about this for the future of Greg Brown's you know health and ability to play basketball at a high level, and that's just something I feel would be irresponsible to completely ignore. Um, so that's definitely, you know, I, I think a reasonable uh, reason for for Brown dropping. But even in like, but like in the fifties, like this is the kind of gamble you want to take. I think just like like a wing forward with really impressive tools, um, some some positive statistical indicators and skill flashes. Um, and, and even if it doesn't work out, you're not really losing much with this late of a pick. Yeah, and I think you know, I'm curious. Like, what are you know? Well, there's two questions I want to ask. One, I'll just start with. You know, like, because I do think there's some intrigue just given kind of his vertical pop, and he's he has, he's inconsistent from my sky. Again, I watched enough of his games to have somewhat of a read. Like, he's inconsistent in terms of his weak side win protection, but I think there is some some baseline of a nice, you know, a, a useful player in that regard as somebody can provide secondary rim protection and also you know be an interesting kind of floor spacer from a three. Like a lot of times, people talk about three and D as you know on ball creation or help side defense in terms of like stunts and whatnot. But there's a lot of value in a guy who can you know splash spot up threes or hit spot up threes at a capable rate and also provide secondary protection. Um, but Greg Brown does have a long way to go in terms of the off both sides of the ball. But I think offensively, especially like what in your eyes is the path toward you know enough offensive viability that he is playable to really you know let that you know, weak center protection shine, assuming it can develop to a point where it's not just flashes and it's a consistent thing you can rely on as, as a low man or a weak side helper. Yeah. I, I definitely want to, like, just quickly reiterate, like, yes, like, his weak side, like, like when I speak about his weak side protection, I'm speaking about it in terms of upside. Like, mm-hmm. currently, like, his instincts are unpolished. 
Um, he often, I think, like his, his tools at this level can cover for a lot of his warts otherwise in terms of intellect. But I definitely think it could develop. Offensively, I think it just has to revolve around catch-and-shoots, closeouts, like cuts and lobs. Like, it's never going to be anything complex, unfortunately. I mean, like, like because of his physical tools and his skill deficiencies, like, he's never going to be a handler. The passing, I don't think, is ever going to get to a point where he can play on the ball. But if he's someone who can who can really hit catch-and-shoot threes to the point where he can draw closeouts, finish explosively, draw fouls, um, you know, cut in cut in an offense, catch lobs. Then I think then I think then I think there's a guy who can be like about you know slightly above neutral on offense. And I mean, these are the type of guys we're talking about at the 50th pick. Like Greg Brown, I think at his at his peak is like a decently useful rotation wing. Which again, like it, it is why this is the range for him. Like I think he's a significantly worse prospect than someone like Sam Hauser, um, despite probably going to go higher. But that is like. An NBA player, and if you're getting an NBA player this late, that's useful. So I think you know if you can really get the shot to the point where it's going in. I, I think the the confidence and the volume is a really important indicator at this point. With his touch definitely not being broken, like I don't think it's great by any means. I think you probably agree with that, but I don't think his touch is broken. And then again, with with the the definite finishing upside, um, you know he had almost a 40 free throw rate this year, which 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 is quite solid. Um, with the lob catching, with the cutting, with the transition stuff that he's gonna transition value he's gonna add, I think there are paths to like fifth offensive player value, and he'll never be more than a fifth offensive player. But I think on the right team, there is a way to extract positive value out of him there. Yeah, absolutely. I think again, all of this is, 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 is the caveat that we're talking about: the Sixers taking him with the fiftieth pick, um, and so you know you have to you have, you have to be very generous about kind of the high end outcomes there. Um, for him. But the second question I want to ask, you know, I'm always curious, you know, and sometimes it's tough to know. Sometimes it's just a, a case by case or a person by person, uh, you know, example, because all humans are different, not to get into some weird, you know, deep, deep thing. But um, <laughs> do you think with Greg Brown is, is the best context for him in your eyes somewhere like Philadelphia, where you have a fairly specified role that like, here's what we need you to do and not do to earn minutes Versus maybe a place that's a little more developmental oriented or, you know, not prioritizing, you know, winning title. It's like, okay, we're going to give you, you know, 12 minutes a night to start with. And like, not that we're just going to say do whatever you want, but like, we're going to let you, you know, let's say you miss a rotation and you have a bad foul. Like we're not going to yank you from the game. Like, you know, a little more freedom to, to learn through things. What do you think is the better path for a guy like Greg Brown, who, as we made clear, really does have a lot of development to do to really, you know, you know, reach some of the, the outcomes of their skills that we've outlined that could be there as pluses for him. I think it's a combination of both. Uh, it's tough when you have a prospect who like needs a, needs a lot of development, but that development is for a specific and limited role, and that's why Greg Brown is not a very good prospect, um, just speaking broadly. But I think while I th- while you want him to be playing, I-, I think he you know needs to have the leeway to make mistakes because every young player does. I think that's more suited for like a G League context or like garbage time minutes. I think you know less Oklahoma City Thunder more like Philadelphia, I guess, more Sixers in this case, like, I think you want to be building him for a specific role, just because, um, which in turn is just going to entail less freedom. Like, I don't think it really is productive to, like, give him pick and roll reps and be like, all right, Greg, go try stuff. Like, he's mm-hmm. not someone who's really going to benefit from that long term, because I don't think that stuff ever adds, like, a surplus value. Like, teach him how to finish in small spaces. Um, have him learn optimal times cutting. Uh, keep improving that shot. Maybe experiment with him as a role man or in different screening actions. Um, train him on the minutia of defensive rotations and, and awareness instincts. Those are the kind of more important developments to me rather than the macro, like, just do stuff kind of development, which mm-hmm. I think has become, you know, a prominent philosophy as being beneficial for a lot of young players, which I definitely subscribe to in the right context. But I don't think that works for everyone, especially for someone like Brown, who I think the, the ceiling just isn't really there and, and the vision has to be different. So, I, I mean, obviously, there, there needs to be some component of, like, experimentation and freedom, because that's just the optimal way to develop, in my opinion. But I think it's got to be more structured than someone like, I don't know, like, Poku's the obvious example that everyone will think of. Yeah, I think I think it's important, right, to, you know, when you're looking at a prospect uh, to say, hey, like, we're going to let you do a bunch of stuff because we think all these different things that we're allowing 
could become strengths. Whereas with Greg Brown, it's tough to, tougher to see. Like we're gonna let you do a bunch of stuff because we like. There's, I think there's very key areas where he could become good at, but there's not like a, there's not just like a a smorgasbord of things that he could like all of a sudden you know build upon, right? So I think that's why there's 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 kind of a, a very you know discussion to have. Um, but yeah, Greg Brown's a really interesting prospect. I I do think you know. You know, our, our friend PD always talks about if you say, oh, he goes to, you know, Miami or Toronto, like, yeah, you don't really like the prospect. But I do think in the right development of pro- context, he could be a really interesting guy um, because there are some, there are some useful skills. Again, three rim protection and spot up shooting at that size and maybe some cutting and play finishing above the rim are useful skills. It's a matter of for Greg Brown um, being in the right context to, to really learn those things and not just have them be occasional flashes that have you, have you wanting more constantly. But um, yeah. This has been great, Ben. Anything you want to add about Greg Brown? The last thing I want to ask you, you know, when we, ship, when we circle back, like I'd like you to power rank these four guys in terms of if you were kind of in the Sixers front office, how you would go about selecting them, if they're all available to you at 28. Um, but anything you want to add about Greg Brown before we you know, rank these four guys that we've discussed in depth today? Uh, no, I think we covered it. I mean, Greg Brown is a very cool prospect, and I definitely will be rooting for him. Uh, would love to see him end up back on the same team that Cade Cunningham ends up, which is, I guess, the probably so. Um, the Pistons should, should look into acquiring Greg Brown. But yeah, I mean, I think we covered it. Uh, cool. So yeah, I think, I think unfortunately the Pistons any sec- don't have any second round picks. They might yeah, have I to. Have no idea. Uh, <laughs> they might have to uh, figure way back into the second Go round. Go buy one. Having the first. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or maybe they're maybe they're done for them. Maybe they'll they'll take Kate Cunningham and then they'll close close their laptops, uh, turn off the phones, and that'll be it for for them on Thursday. But anyhow, um, can you give us your your? I, I think I know pretty clearly what the foot the four will be. As for anyone who's listened to this, but give us your give us your rank of, of these four guys in terms of how you yeah. prioritize them from Basically a Basically, the order we talk with them, except we flip the first two. Okay, uh, Sharif is the guy like who I yeah. prioritize. Even if maybe in theory the fit is a little less clean than Trey Mann in the short term, um, I just think Sharif's a far superior prospect, and that's something we need to prioritize. Um, and then Amigo Trey is the clear number two. Hauser, pretty clear number three. Brown, pretty clear number four. Yeah. I mean, this was a pretty simple one, I think. Like, yeah. No, yeah, I think when, we, when you include Sharif, a guy who most people, you know, that are most people on draft were having the lottery, uh, when you're talking about the 28th pick, it can be pretty easy, especially for dealing with the Sixers that, that just need more revenge creation some perimeter. But um, Ben, I really appreciate you taking some time. Yes. Um, I, know you've been, I know you've been busy doing a bunch of, you know, kind of getting back into the draft game after time off. It's been cool to, Cool to watch you kind of return to things. I know people missed your inside. I missed it as well. But give your give yourself a little, you know, where can people find your work? What are you, what are you doing these days? I know there's only a couple of days until the draft, but uh, the floor is yours for a little uh, self-promotion here. Yeah, uh, not too much to plug. Uh, just follow me on Twitter at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. Um, like you said, I mean, no formal content planned at the moment. Um, just, you know, we'll post clips and takes and things. So um, if you want to keep up with my draft opinions, uh, we'll definitely have things to say in some capacity um, after the draft on Thursday. So, yeah, just go follow me. Um, and, again, a big thank you to Jackson um, for this. Um, it was a good time, and I'm excited to do this in real life with you at Summer League. Yes, absolutely. And I do want to issue another correction. I am the correction man today. Uh, the Pistons have three second-round picks. I don't know where I got the deal. They have zero, <laughs> but they have three. They so have they're in, they're in 37, 42, Greg and 52. Ruffin. Yes, they have – Plenty of opportunities to to reunite the former AU teammates. Um, but anyhow, yes, Ben, really appreciate you coming on again. Appreciate everyone for listening. Um, please review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Uh, for anyone listening on Spotify, Take Greg appreciate Brown the support. And pre-draft your guy, Mike Miles. And just- <laughs> yes, Mike Miles. Oh, man, love that. That's a great shout. Um, but, yeah, I'll be back on Thursday to uh, do one more preview before the draft, and then I'll have tons of stuff after the fact, um, regardless of what the Sixers do. Actually, not regardless. If they draft someone, I'll do it. If they don't draft anyone, then I probably won't assess their draft. But anyhow, uh, as always, I am butchering the conclusion of these pods. But Ben, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate everyone listening. Um, Until Thursday, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. I'll talk to all of you again soon.